Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So uh, I love like play on word type of things or seeing, you know, especially like signs and seeing mistakes in them or making fun of them or whatever. I just love that sort of thing. And so I came across a website where there are these signs, these weird or funny or strange signs were, and I wanted to share a few of them with you to get started. So the first one, I'm going to start with probably my favorite one, but I'm going to start out with it, set the bar high here. So this is, apparent, these are all apparently real. I'm assuming they are. Uh, this sign says, you've already seen it, touching wires causes instant death, but there's also a $200 fine. I don't know how they're going to collect that, but I'm sure they'll find a way. Uh, The next one says, beware wild animals slash children. Beware wild animals slash children. The The next sign, yeah, the next sign says this, please be safe. Do not stand, sit, climb, or lean on fences. If you fall, animals could eat you, and that might make them sick. Thank you. Very specific there. Uh, the next one, caution, this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. Also, the bridge is out ahead at the very bottom is what that says. <laughs> and the last one is a church sign. It says, don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> now, when I see those signs, the first thing I think is why? One of two reasons. First of all, why are some of those signs necessary? Like, what thing happened without a sign that now there needs to be a sign so you know not to feed the wild animals or lean on the fence or whatever? Like, what happened? Why is that sign necessary all of a sudden? Or the second reason for many of these signs is why was it phrased that way? Why didn't they put, you know, the bridge part big at the top instead of this other stuff at the top? Now, they're being, they're being funny with it. I get that. Uh, but the, the, still, the question is, why? So why is a question that we actually ask quite a bit, isn't it? I think we ask that a lot in our lives. And we're going to ask that question a lot today in week eight of our series, Promises, Promises. So we're in week eight. Next week, we'll finish up this series we've been in for a while now, talking about God's promises, promises from Scripture, from the Bible. So we're going to ask the question, why, quite a bit today, especially at the beginning, the first half or so of the message. So what I want to do for this week is, this is a promise from Jesus, from the New Testament, from the book of John. It's in John chapter 10. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. So what I want to do is first read the full statement from Jesus that at the end is the promise that he's making us. And then we're going to look at the larger context of this statement, of this promise, to really see, I think, the full beauty of what he's saying and maybe open our eyes to something that we've never even really seen before with this particular scripture. 
So we've done this quite a bit in this series. It's not just picking out one verse or one scripture or one thought or one sentence, but it's like, okay, what is surrounding that that gives us the full idea of what this actually means? Or maybe a richer, fuller view of what this means. That's what we're going to do uh, today. So the first why question that we'll ask in looking at our text, John 10, is why did Jesus come? Why? What, what's the purpose of him being here in the first place? He lets us know here and also in the larger context that we'll get to in a minute. So we're at John chapter 10, starting at verse number 1. This is Jesus speaking, and here's what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you. So when he says truly, truly, he's trying to get your attention. It's like when you say, canoe trip. It's like that. <laughs> he's getting your attention. He's about to say something important or profound here. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, pay attention, he says, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then we know verses 9 and 10 very well. This is, comes to the promise that we're getting to today. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But here's today's promise, John 10, 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So today's promise is one of the reasons why Jesus came. Today we're talking about the abundant life promise. So this gets to why he came. He will give us, in the larger context, another similar reason why he came that we'll get to here in a little bit. So that answers the question to some degree why he came, to give abundant life. We'll look at what that is as we go along here this morning. The second why question, though, is why did he say that specifically? Why did he use these, these, this series of metaphors, if you will, a shepherd with his sheep, I am the door of the sheep? Why did he use that language specifically, those metaphors specifically? And I think to get to that, we have to go back to the chapter before, the larger context of what Jesus, not just what he says in John 10, but what he does in John 9, gives us a larger picture to this abundant life promise. Uh, And I feel like in some ways I'm preaching two messages in one, not that I'm going to preach that long, uh, hopefully, but they don't seem to maybe go together, but they do. And so I hope by the end we see the connection here between what Jesus does in John 9 and then what he says in John 10, okay? So why did Jesus use these metaphors? So let's go back to John chapter 9. We'll read through a really interesting story here that happens right before Jesus makes this statement. So John 9, verse 1 and 2, here's what happens. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who'd been born blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? So now we have the next why question in our series of why questions. The disciples see this man born blind, and they ask why. 
Why was he born this way? And I'm sure we've asked God that about some of our situations that we've been in or maybe are in. Why? Why did this happen to me? Or why did this happen now? Or God, why did this not happen that I was expecting to happen? Why? They asked this question. And the disciples, the way that they're viewing this man's condition is very normal for their culture. So these, any, really any ancient religion would see this situation in a very similar way. If they believed in any god or any number of gods, they would see, well, either our god or our gods are totally sovereign and in control over everything. So he or they cause everything, right? So all they see in life is one or the other. Either there's blessing or cursing. There's no middle ground. There's no gray. There's no things just happen. That doesn't, that doesn't happen in these ancient cultures. God or the gods do everything, cause everything, either for good or for bad. And so they ask the question with that lens. Okay, well, he's been obviously cursed by God with blindness from birth, so did he sin or did his parents sin? So that's a pretty normal way of viewing the world at that time. This physical disability must have been a judgment from God, so who's at fault? Who should we blame for this man's condition? But what Jesus answers is, could be another sermon altogether, but we'll just kind of talk about it for a second to get to where we're trying to go today for this purpose. John 9, verse 3, Jesus says this, It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now the disciples are like, what are you talking about? That does not compute with the way that we have always learned about how God works. That doesn't compute with the way that anyone in the world thinks at this time. So, again, I could, I could go off of here for half an hour and talk about this, but I'm going to control myself and just make this general statement. What Jesus is doing here is helping them to see God differently than what they've always seen him, to think about his activity in the world differently than what they've always thought. That's all I'm going to say about that for now, okay? It's a loaded statement. There's a lot there. But to get to where we're trying to go in John 10, let's work through John 9. So Jesus, not only then, does he try to get them to see God differently, but then he does something very different. So what he does, just a couple of verses later, let's skip down to verses 6 and 7 of John 9. Here's what Jesus does. He spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. So now, after we see what Jesus does that's different, we have another why question to ask. And the question is, why would Jesus do it that way? Like, is he opening up a spa, and this is a new spa treatment he's trying out, you know? Like the saliva spa, maybe that's what it is. I don't know what he's doing here. Why would he make mud in the dirt and rub it on this dude's eyes? Notice, first of all, the man didn't even ask to be healed that we know of. He's just there, and Jesus just decides, let's just do something. And he's getting, this is why John 9 is important to get to John 10. He's doing this for a reason. Okay, he is healing the man, but he's also going to lead us to somewhere else that we're going to get to. So wh why did he do it this way? Couldn't he have just touched the guy's eyes without the whole spitting and rubbing and dirt thing? Yeah, he could have, right? Couldn't he have just told the man, be healed? Sure. Like we know that hap that's happened many times. There was even a time where a man came to Jesus and said, hey, my servant is at home sick. 
uh, and he needs to be healed. And Jesus says, well, I'll come. He says, no, 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 no. I know that you have all power and authority. If you just say the word, he'll be healed. So Jesus says, go home and he'll be fine. So it's a long distance healing. Right? There's another story where this woman comes up in a crowd behind Jesus, simply touches the outer hem of his cloak, and she's healed of a disease she's had for decades, right? So we know that Jesus doesn't have to do what he did. So we, we ask why. Why would he do it that way? One thing I find that's interesting here about the method that Jesus uses is he involves the person receiving the miracle. What does he do? He makes the dirt, he rubs it on his eyes, and he tells the man go wash your face, which obviously the guy's going to want to do, right? But he, he gives him something to do. He, it's not just a passive miracle where just poof, you know, the man has to do something. And you would say, well, why would he do it that way? Why would he involve the guy? I think that's the way that really God works quite often. Most miracles are not just passive. I'll give you a quick example, and I told this story probably before, but I'll tell it again. So several years, a few years ago, uh, Kim and I were praying about paying off our student loan debt, tens of thousands of dollars. We're like close to 30 years old. We're like, this is not going to work. We can't do this forever. Something's got to give. So we prayed for God to provide, to do something about that. And so you would think, okay, well, check in the mail. That'd be nice, but no. Uh, government program to forgive student loan debt. We were a few years, you know, that, I know that's going to come, but we were t- a little ahead of the game on where the government's going to take that, right? Uh, do we have an anonymous donor, you know, pay that off? No. Now, here's the thing. We've had that happen before. So we had uh, a car, some car work done uh, at a shop. We went in to pay, and the, person, and the person said someone already came in and paid for that to be done. So we've had God work that way before. Why wouldn't you do that this time, God? Why wouldn't you have a donor just write a check and we pay and they say, oh, you don't owe anything. Like you, you, you're, it's like, why wouldn't you do that? So he didn't do any of those things. So we asked, okay, what are you trying to do? Why are you going to go this way? So what God really led us to do was to sell our home and downsize. Now, we weren't in a large house to begin with. We're in a you know, pretty meager townhome, so it's not like we're really changing our lifestyle that much or anything. But he he called us to sell our home, move into a little tiny, super small home with our two small children, and just suck it up for a while until that debt's paid off. So that's how God chose to work. Why? I don't still really know why, but I know that he did that. I know that he led us to make those decisions in the way that we did so that he could do what only he could do, because within that three and three and a half year period, we paid off nearly $60,000 in student loan debt, Right? And that seems like a crazy number because we're not even making that much money at the time. This was several years ago. So here's the thing. God did it in a way that we would not have chosen to do it. Like we would like to, we'd like to live where we are in a larger space. And we, like, we don't want to have to move. And we don't want to make these changes or sacrifices. So he made us part of our own miracle. Do you see how that can sometimes work that way? So that's what he does here. He, sometimes, like we talked about at the open, weird signs. Sometimes Jesus, God, God will use weird signs to point us in the right direction to get us where he needs us to go. So it's, we have to follow him as we'll get to, as we keep going to, toward John 10. So after Jesus does this, the man is healed. Then the man goes before the Pharisees, the leaders, and he shows himself to them that he's been healed. Because up until now, he's been an outcast in society because of his blindness, because of his disability. He is in his own little corner, his own little pocket. He can't be a part of normal, everyday life. So he goes before them and shows them, hey, I was blind, now I'm not, so I want to be part of life. I want to be part of your world now that I can see. And the Pharisees have some questions for this guy. 
and they grill this guy. They don't really maybe believe this guy. And so they, and it even gets down to they make certain accusations about what has happened. So verse 16 of John 9, here's what happens. Some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. So the Pharisees, here's the thing. We've been asking why, 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 why. They do not do that. The Pharisees don't ask why. They just assume they know better automatically. They don't try to get behind, why would this man of God work in this way? They just assume he's wrong and they're right. That's a problem. They don't ask why God would work this way. Instead, they say God would never do it that way. It's a dangerous statement to make. So I want to caution us to not make that statement. God would never work that way. Now, that's not, how, that's not what God does. That's a little weird. I don't know if I can really trust that that's what God's doing that's how you miss a miracle that's how we miss out on this abundant life that jesus offers us when we try to put him in a box and i hate to use that cliche but it's true trying to make him out well god can only do this in this way on this day at this time that's what they were guilty of and i'm afraid sometimes we might be as well if we're not careful we can't limit god to our way of thinking or our reasoning or our pattern of behavior he's supernatural. he's above and beyond what we can do so if you don't want to miss a miracle and you don't want to miss out on abundant life then keep asking it's okay to ask why but don't make these accusations and assumptions that god would never do it that way because what if he is this time and you're it's going to go right past us let's not fall into that trap so the Pharisees continue to ask questions. Then they bring in the guy's parents to question them. They're trying to say, is this like a family Ponzi scheme here? Is there something nefarious going on? And they don't want to get involved. They want to, they're like, ah, you know, we're pleading the fifth. And so then they bring the guy back in to ask to grill him again, you know? And I, I want to read this verse, this one verse quickly, because I find humor in, in this verse, even though it may not be there. I, I find it really funny. John 9, 27, here's what happens. Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why, there it is again, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Now, I think the guy is sincere. Like, I think he's so excited about what's just happened to him, and he knows that these guys could live this abundant life too if they would follow this guy. And so I think he's, like, sincere. He's like the first evangelist. Do you want to follow him? Do you want to be his disciple too? Like, do you really understand? I was born blind. I'm not blind anymore. That guy did it. I know he didn't follow your rules and do it your way, but would you, you, you should follow him. Too. I think he's sincere, but I think this could ultimately be, like, the ultimate troll job. Like, do you want to fight? You know, like, I mean, maybe it's a little like jab at them. You know, he knows they're going to say no. He knows it's going to really get them riled up. And so he's just kind of giving it to him a little bit. I don't know. So then he leaves. They stop questioning him. He goes out and finds Jesus, talks with him. And he, Jesus reveals himself to be basically the one who healed him, the savior of the world, all that good stuff. And so here's where we get to the end of John 9 into John 10. Because Jesus now answers again why he came to this earth. So here's what he says, John 9, 39 through 41. Then Jesus told him, here's why, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind 
and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Burn, right? So Jesus, what he does here is he physically, literally heals a person, a blind person, to make a larger spiritual point. So I think that maybe answers the question of why he did it in such a strange way. Like he didn't even wait for the guy to ask because the guy probably wasn't even thinking about this guy can heal me. He may not even known who was in front of him because he's blind. So Jesus took it upon himself to do something odd, again, on the Sabbath, So according to the extra rules that the Pharisees have, this is a no-no. You can't work on the Sabbath, and Jesus does this all the time. This is not the first time or the only time he's going to heal or work and do a miracle on the Sabbath because he's trying to get their attention. God doesn't have to work according to your extra rules or your calendar or your way of thinking or seeing things. So he uses this opportunity in this very public, strange, different way way with a strange sign to make a larger point. So this is the context right before Jesus makes this statement in John 10 about him being the shepherd of the sheep, the door of the sheep, uh, and then talking about the thief that comes to steal, kill, destroy, which we'll get to in just a second. So let's look at these metaphors. Now we've seen the context. Let's jump more into John 10 again, that these two metaphors that Jesus uses in this statement in John 10, 1 through 10. So Now, let's ask the question again, why does he use these metaphors? What's the importance of them? The main reason, really, uh, we'll get in deeper, but the main reason is he's contrasting himself against the Pharisees. He's contrasting the abundant life that he has come to give with the cold, dead religion that the Pharisees are trying to force upon the people. And he uses, this imagery is, We have to work through it in our culture a couple thousand years later in a different language and part of the world, but the people here are shocked probably when they hear what he's claiming he is and what he's saying the Pharisees are, okay? So this idea of shepherd, I think the first thing that we should see here is you go back to Psalm 23, who is my shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. Well, Jesus in John 10 says, I am the good shepherd. So that right there is going to set off alarm bells to everyone listening that, whoa, So when he said, verily, verily, or listen closely, pay attention, it's because he's about to drop a truth bomb on these people that's going to blow their mind and their way of thinking. He's in in sort of a secondhand way claiming some type of divinity. He's not quoting Psalm 23. He's saying, no, no, the the shepherd that that, uh, David, that's the guy who wrote Psalm 23, that he was talking about is reflecting me ultimately. I'm the shepherd and you are the sheep. So, Shepherd, a shepherd has two jobs, and that's the two, the two metaphors that Jesus uses here. A shepherd has two jobs, and that is direction and protection. So two, two, that's all, he has two jobs, right? Direction and protection. So the first thing that Jesus says that he spends some time on is he says, when I speak, my sheep know my voice. They recognize my voice. They hear me, and they follow me. Now, this is a real thing, Okay. This is a real, like, this is not just a metaphor. This is real. So there's a story several years ago after a a skirmish in the Middle East in Israel or in that region. uh, There was uh, an Arab woman living in the region whose husband, uh, who was a a small uh, shepherd, 
uh, with a small flock. He had died in one of these skirmishes. And so her sheep had been taken by uh, the Israeli army, and they'd been put in this pen with all these other animals, okay? All sorts of animals in this huge pen. So the woman finds uh, where her husband's sheep, now her sheep, are being kept. So she goes to the authorities that are over this pen and asks them if she can have uh, permission to get her about 25 sheep out of the pen. And the guards kind of laugh at her and say, well, if you think that you can get your sheep and only your sheep out, (laughs) go for it. That's totally fine. And so her young son who came with her, he brought a little uh, homemade flute that he had made and was using. So they, he, the boy begins to play a simple tune on this flute. And wouldn't you know it, uh, within a matter of minutes, all 25 of this woman's sheep had made their way to the front gate. They were used to this boy in the fields, wherever they owned them, playing this tune. They heard and recognized that it wasn't the voice of the owner, but this tune. They, they attributed it to the owner. If we, we need to follow wherever that's going, because that's where our master is, that's where our owner is, that's where we need to go. And so this thing that Jesus talks about is a real thing. Sheep know their owner's voice. They learn to follow a certain sound. So this is true. And this sort of comes back to, I think, the question of why he would do certain things in a different type of way, not just in this story, but in our lives. Like, you know, Jesus, I know that you can instantly heal me, so why do I have to go through treatment for years? Why is that the way you've chosen to heal? Well, God, I know that you can provide financially, so why isn't it a check in the mail or an instant, oh, never mind, this debt's been canceled. Why do, why do I have to sacrifice and work and change things? And why do I have to be a part of this equation again? Why would you choose to do it in that way? Why do I have to struggle for so long to come up with the answer, the wisdom that I'm asking? Well, you can just in, give me an insight instantly. Why do I have to pray for so long and wait for this to happen? Why would you choose to work in that way? Well, the way that sometimes God works may not be our preferred method. It's just true. The way that he chooses to work may seem strange. Yes. The way that he chooses to act and do a miracle may not make sense at any part of the process until we're on the other side. And even then, we might be scratching our head like, okay, I still don't quite get it, but I got the miracle and the thing happened and I'm praising God for it. I still don't quite understand how the pieces worked or how the math worked or how the calendar came together. I just don't quite get it. But the more that we follow Jesus, the more we become accustomed to his leading. The, the longer that we follow him, the more we get used to how his voice might sound. Sometimes it's maybe in a different pitch than we're used to, or, you know, may, maybe his voice sounds a little bit hoarse to us at times, like, is that you, Jesus? I think it is, so I'm going to go there. The closer that we follow him, the more attuned we become spiritually to what he's saying, what he's doing, where he's leading. So there's still faith involved, but we become more accustomed to his voice so we can follow him. So if it's his voice, even if it sounds odd or weird or I don't get it, follow his voice. Because the inverse is also true. And we'll talk about this as we close here in a few minutes. Sometimes we are tempted to listen to the wrong voices, right? They sound more appealing. It's sort of the easy way out, the instant fix, or it makes me feel good. And so if we listen to the wrong voices, guess what? We end up going the wrong direction for the wrong reasons and end up in the wrong place. So we have to listen for his voice, become more attuned to his voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. Then the second 
metaphor, the second thing he uses is this idea, he says, I am the door. Um, That's what he says. Now, this is also very literal. So in this culture, the shepherd is the door. So especially at night, when the sheep are out grazing in the day, then at night, the shepherd would bring them in to whatever sort of uh, contain, not container, but enclosure that they are in. Uh, But the opening usually is left open. So typically, the shepherd, what he would do as part of the protection is he would lay, he would sleep and lay across the opening. He is literally the door or the gate for the sheep. He is their first and last line of defense. He provides protection. So it's literally him saying, hey, if you're a thief or you're a wolf or something, you literally have to get through me first. It's protection for a sheep. And then, as he alludes to, sometimes the thieves will want to cross over the wall instead of coming through the door. That's where the protection piece really kicks in. Because the shepherd is going to have a staff, and he's going to use it on whoever's trying to get in to take my sheep, or harm my sheep, or kill my sheep. He's like a ninja. He's you know, like whoever's in there, he's going to provide direction. That's why, again, in Psalm 23, the psalmist says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because I know that if I'm with the shepherd, I'm safe. Now, I also know that thieves will try to come in and steal this, what we're talking about today, abundant life, which is where we're going. I know they're going to try to come in and steal things, or as Jesus says, to kill or destroy things. But if he's come to give abundant life, part of that is this protection. Rod and staff, cracking heads, right? Rod and staff, clearing out the thieves. Rod and staff, providing protection for his sheep. So Jesus says, I will protect my sheep. Let's look at the context, though, of John 10, 9 and 10. Let me say it again. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Who is the thief? In the context that we've just read in John 9 and 10, who is the thief that he's talking about? It's actually the Pharisees. Now, I will say, Satan is a great, good answer, okay? He is a thief, he is a liar, he is a manipulator, he's evil, he's terrible, you know, God will beat him with the staff too. But specifically, and I, I've, I've used that before in preaching many times, okay? In the immediate specific context in which Jesus is using, he is shocking people with his audacity to say, these religious people that, you, that claim they are high and mighty and holy and loved by God and called by God, they are thieves. They have come to steal, kill, and destroy. Because he, he compares himself, right? The Pharisees, when you, when you, why does he always call them out, right? They're, they're, now, not every Pharisee is bad. We, we tend to think that it's this blanket statement group. It's not. It's, it's a handful of these religious elites who have gotten too far off on one end of the religious spectrum here. They've gotten what you, what I know, my aunt would used to say, too big for their britches, you know? <laughs> and so that's, that's who Jesus is, not, so not the whole group. Now, so there are some very faithful, very holy Pharisees, but there are some that keep trying to cause trouble. He says, they're the thieves. Watch out for them. Do not listen to them. Do not follow them, okay? Because here's what, he, they, they continually exploit and abuse the sheep, God's people. They judge and look down upon God's people, who are the sheep. They're all about power and control for themselves. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you can know a thief versus a shepherd by this simple thing. Thieves take, shepherds give. 
So if these religious people who claim to hear from God are taking from you, exploiting you, judging you, they're a thief. No matter what the title on their business card says, they're a thief. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I've come to give life and life abundantly. And then in verse 11 that we'll get to in a second, he says, I've come to lay down my life for the sheep. It's direction and protection. So let's, let's close it with, for just a few minutes with, with this thought to bring it kind of to our world. With all of this kind of floating out there, all of this context here in John 9 and 10, here's the question I want to leave us with for a minute. What possible thieves are trying to steal abundant life from you? That's the question. What thieves are trying to steal this abundant life from you, from me? Let me give you a few options. There might be more that you think of, but here are a few to consider. One might be just our unbelieving culture. So much pressure that we have regularly to just kind of bounce on our faith. You know, I mean, our culture says, be you, do you, live for you. You know, that, that's what our culture says, instant gratification. It's all about pleasure. It's all about living for the moment, you know. Uh, we don't want to have any FOMO because YOLO, you know, those types of things. If you got what I said, you're under a certain age group, and that's okay, all right? <laughs> or you have kids that, that keep you fresh, right, Jackson? Your dad's fresh. He's hip to the max. He's coolie daddy-o, you know? Okay, no, I'm just kidding. But, so here's what I, here's what I would say. Try, the pressure of the culture, does, giving into that does not lead to abundant life doesn't it leads to a lot of mistakes that then lead to a lot of regret and a lot of damage control and a lot of clean up on aisle seven stuff happening all the time that's all the culture is good for they tell you do what you want follow your heart there's a i forget who it was i think a country song that says that it's the stupidest thing ever right jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else who can know it Following your heart is bad advice. If anyone tells you that, they're a thief of abundant life. They just are. They're not for your best interest. Instant gratification is not abundant life because it will lead to disaster and regret. So that may be a thief. We have to allow the Holy Spirit with his staff to beat that out. Get it out of here. You're not, you're a thief. You're a wolf. Get out. Maybe for you, a thief uh, from your abundant life is guilt or shame from your past which we talked about, I think, last week, condemnation, beating you over the head with this sin that you committed months or years ago. First of all, it's not from God. It is a tactic of the thief, Satan, ultimately the thief, who steals, kills, destroys. Yes, that's a tactic from him to steal abundant life from you. Never being able to get over your past, your mistakes, your miscues, your mess-ups. If you've been forgiven, you're forgiven. So we have to, again, allow the shepherd to beat away this thief of guilt and shame. Maybe for you it's bitterness or unforgiveness. And you know, sometimes when we're, sometimes we feel like we have a right to hold a grudge with someone. Well, they deserve me to withhold this from them because they wronged me, you know, and it feels right. It feels good. We can make it sound really good. But have you ever met a bitter person who's like living their best life? No, you have not. Uh, it, have when you, whenever you've been there, do you ever feel like, man, I'm so happy all the time because I'm so bitter all the time? Those, it's oil and water. They do not go together. 
So this bitterness and unforgiveness, it feels right, it feels good, it, it, we can be very convincing, but it is a thief of abundant life. It's not the way of Jesus. He, grace and forgiveness is the way of Jesus. So don't allow bitterness or unforgiveness to be a thief of abundant life for you. What about this one? Fear. Fear is a huge abundant life thief. Fear of the unknown, fear of the future. Maybe you've been this kind of person, you're a worst case scenario kind of person. I see people look at their neighbor, it's not good, okay? Don't do it! Fear, worst case, well, things are good, right? So, uh, how, when's, it gonna, when's the bottom going to fall out? Like, like, just enjoy the good for a second, you know? There's so little of it, just live in that. Like, for once, yes, live in that moment, okay? I'll give you permission to do that. So sometimes we just look for the, the devil around the corner all the time. We're always living in uncertainty and fear and, and whatever. It's like that, that's a thief of abundant life. That is not living the way that God desires. And so when fear tries to climb over the walls of your life and your mind and your spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to use his staff to beat that out. It's a thief. It steals abundant life. We're going to listen to his voice instead of fear. Here's the last one I'll mention, and then we'll... And then we'll close. We are going to take communion in a minute, so hopefully you prepare your heart for that as we close here. Here's the last thief that I want to mention to abundant life, and, it, and it's the one, I want to mention it because it's the one that Jesus uses, and it's the one that sometimes we can struggle with. Sometimes legalism or religion can be a thief to abundant life. Now, I don't mean religion in the broad sense. I mean religion in, in the legalist sense. Religion is all about following rules, or checking boxes, or doing my, you know, six duties of the day to, to please God, feeling that I have to do things to earn God's love, or earn his forgiveness, or earn his grace, or earn whatever he wants for me to have. Sometimes this does feel right. I mean, sometimes we can convince ourselves, yeah, God does work that way. It's, it's just not performance-based with God. It's just not. That is a thief, and what that leads to, however, that, this is the issue with the Pharisees. What that leads to is really judgmentalism, right? Uh, legalism brings out the worst in us because not only do I have these expectations of myself, but then I place them on everybody else too. That's the issue that the Pharisees had. And many times what we do is even one step further than that because sometimes what we'll tend to do is give ourselves a break when it's convenient for us but never anybody else. We'll want grace for ourselves but not for them. Or we'll, we'll have a standard for us and we even raise the bar for other people. That's legalism. That is not abundant life. And so whenever we feel we have to earn God's love ourselves, or whenever we feel we have to, others have to prove themselves to us, that's a thief of abundant life. So we, again, want to allow the Holy Spirit to, to beat that off, to run that thief away. Don't let the thief in. Don't listen to that voice. Choose abundant life. So again, Let's sum all this up. Why did Jesus come? He came to open our spiritual eyes, he said, to see that we need to get out of the way and see him the way he wants to be seen, see him fully and clearly for who he truly is. Jesus came to protect us from thieves, like we just talked about, sin, guilt, fear, legalism. Jesus came to direct us as his sheep, as we hear his voice, into not just life, but abundant life. And ultimately, not just abundant life here, but eternal life in the life that is yet to come. That is why Jesus came to be our good shepherd.